Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 156. Thank you for joining us. In our second episode covering military service, we're joined by Colby's Chris Bates, Eric Dune, and Erica Treat, along with Erica's husband, Kevin. We continue our conversation about discernment of whether military service is right for a student, but also have the opportunity to hear about some of the challenges that might face an active member of the service and their spouse. We also have more practical advice for researching, discerning, and joining the military. To Chris, Eric, and Kevin, our veterans and active service members, thank you for your service. And to Chris and Erica and all spouses of those serving, thank you as well for your sacrifices. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Hi, Stephen. Good to see you. Hi, Bonnie. It's nice to see you as well. Thank you. We had a good conversation in our last episode. I'm wondering what your thoughts about that were. We were discussing uh, military service after Colby. Yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, I'm looking forward to continuing that today with a, a new group of people. But uh, yeah, I didn't get a chance, I think, to ask about kind of some of the characters of, of people going in, you know, like determining whether it was, you know, somebody's got the strength to kind of be a military person or whether there's something I should consider that. So maybe, maybe you'll get a chance to ask that later on here. That's right. You're in luck. We're having another conversation. We're continuing the conversation, kind of picking up the thread where we left it last time. And we have a, a new crop of folks here to visit with. Some of them are familiar to us. We've got a couple of friends of the Colby cast, as I call them back here with us. Erica Tree and Chris Bates. Hello, ladies. Thanks for coming back to visit. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, it's good to see you guys again. Me too. Um, Chris, it's been since episode 83 since I got to talk to you on the Colby cast. What have you been up to since then? And how are you serving Colby these days? Oh my, it has been just a whirlwind of life. It never, uh, it never slows down, not for a moment, but it's, um, God is so good and, uh, things are going well. Uh, so we've got, um, a, uh, Colby eighth grader right now and sixth grader. Uh, and what I am doing right now with Colby is, uh, leading up a couple of clubs. Uh, I handle the, the baking club for third through eighth, as well as sewing and yarn club, which is, is basically third through high school. So those are a lot of fun. And I am doing the, uh, the Iowa testing, the standardized testing for, for Colby. So okay. lots of busy yeah. stuff. I can vouch for the baking club. We've had some deliciousness in our house. Thanks to the baking club and testing as well. We had a good experience using the testing services you guys provide and talked about that back on that episode 83. Erica, you've been on the Colby cast here more recently. Episode 125 was your last visit, but since that time you've, you've taken a little bit of a trip. <laughs> Would you tell us a bit about that? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Our family has a, a college student who's studying abroad this semester in Italy. So um, we, as a family, have traveled some in Europe together um, this semester. And we were working and um, homeschooling abroad for a couple of months. So that, that was the journey. <laughs> wow. it, was, it was really good. It, was, it, it went well. 
um, we were able, it was something we were able to do through remote work and with homeschooling. So that was, you know, when you have an idea like that, you don't always know if it's going to work out, um, <laughs> you know, on a practical level, but it did. Uh, sometimes the time zones were a little tricky, but um, overall it was great. And we got to see um, and learn a lot of things in person um, in really meaningful ways that you, you can't always get out of a book. So, and Kevin actually um, came over for part of it too. And he and my son were doing their own um, journey through the churches of Rome and um, all of that. So it was really cool. And one day I asked my son at the end of the day, what was your favorite part of the day? And they ate a lot of gelato. So I was pretty sure he was going to say gelato. Um, <laughs> you know, yes, understandably. Gelato explorations in the city. But he's at all of the churches. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. So it it was a good family experience. And um, there were were a lot of pilgrimage elements to it. um, And a lot of nice um, historical things that we got to see in person that we've read about in the Colby curriculum. We got to go to Delphi and see those places in real life. It was neat. Amazing. I, whenever I would check in with you, because I have I have the privilege of getting to visit with Erica off and on through throughout the week on various things, and I'd be like, "Where are you today? Where are you now?" And I was thinking of the "Where in the world is Carmen San Diego?" The yeah. original, thank you. <laughs> that had the theme song going and everything, but it was replacing it with Erica's name. So, yeah. So I'm glad you had a great time and all of that. Glad you got to do that. Yeah, it was really good, and it was fun. It was great too with. Colby because I was still very connected to the team and very involved in stuff so we didn't feel like we were just out you know floating in the world that's neat well in typical Bonnie fashion I have taken off like gotten ahead of myself and I want to take a minute to stop and introduce the rest of the folks here on the conversation with us we have Erica's husband Kevin Tree welcome Kevin hello it's nice to meet you thank you it's nice to meet you too happy to be here Thank you. I'm going to find out some more about you here in a second. I also want to introduce Eric Dune, one of Colby's asynchronous teachers. Hi, Eric. It's nice to meet you. Hi. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks so much for coming. Kevin, let's start with you. Tell us about yourself and your military background. Sure. So uh, let's see. Born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Went to school in Southern California, did ROTC. Uh, Air Force ROTC. I actually applied to the Air Force and the Army, and I never heard back from the Army, and the Air Force basically paid for my whole uh, tuition to a private school, so that was an easy decision. Uh, and then after graduation, you know, I was I was basically going to do one assignment and then uh, grow up and get a job, and 22 years later, I'm waiting to grow up and get a job, but at some point, I'm going to have to do that. Um, so. Uh, 22 years in the Air Force, um, you know, I've, I've deployed to Iraq with the Army in 2007. I was a missileer in, uh, in uh, Montana uh, for uh, a few years. I've, I've done a lot of uh, Air Force analysis and uh, worked at the Pentagon doing uh, future conflict uh, analysis and Air Force concept development. And I've also taught at the Air Force Academy in the math department, and that's where I'm currently at, uh, teaching in the math department. And it's It's been an interesting ride, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, Eric and I have been uh, married for almost 25 years, where I think we're about a month away now. Uh, we got 
two beautiful boys. And that's uh, a lot of fun. Wonderful. So what was it that drew you to the military? Uh, so I guess there's a couple, a couple of things. Um, so I, you know, I, I grew up when I was just coming in my teen years during the Gulf War. And so watching, you know, fighters take off to go do missions and bombers and stuff like that, that was, that was just like eye opening uh, for me. And uh, so when I started thinking about college, I knew I wanted to serve. That was really important to me. And it was also really important to me that, uh, that I paid for my own school. I think my parents were in a position to pay for me, but I didn't want them to. And so you know, I was looking at opportunities to uh, kind of do it on my own uh, for whatever reason that was important to me. So and that's, and like I said, it was kind of, kind of be just like a one, a one you know, assignment, four years sort of thing. And then, you know, maybe go do something else and it just kind of turned into more and more assignments. Okay. Wow. Eric, I'm looking at a very interesting uh, periodic table background behind you. Would you tell us about that and a bit more about yourself as well and, and how you serve Colby and about your military services? All, all of that. Will you tell us all the things? <laughs> all the things. Absolutely. Uh, I grew up in the upper Midwest, a lot of, spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. That's where I currently live, but grew up and went to college in Minnesota and here in Wisconsin and Iowa. Uh, I got my teaching license first, became a teacher in 2014, uh, went back and got my master's. And in that whole process of trying to find out who I am, part of being a teacher is service. And so when I, when I hit 30, I thought, you know, I, I better get into the military if I ever am. And so I, I joined, uh, I enlisted in the Air Force, um, but I'm in the Air National Guard. So I'm on the, I'm on the guard side, reserve side. And Kevin, you're in the active duty side. I'm currently a, a weather officer. So a staff weather officer. I forecast for the Army and stuff and have forecasted for F-35s and F-16s and some big exercises and some small exercises. While I was getting out of my training and getting back into teaching, I stumbled upon Colby while I was listening to Relevant Radio. And I just thought, hey, I should throw my, throw my name in the ring. And I was, a, I was an online teacher for chemistry. That's why I have a big periodic table behind me. Um, last school year and then this school year, uh, I, I decided to take some stuff off my plate on the Colby side, cause I'm going back for my doctorate. So, uh, just all of the things coming together and they said, well, would you like to be an asynchronous teacher? And I said, absolutely. So, uh, that's, that's kind of my little spiel. Could you tell us just a little bit about the asynchronous courses. We've had a couple episodes about that. I'll, I'll dig those up for the show notes, but tell us a little bit more from your perspective, what that means when we say asynchronous. Sure. So um, the, Colby actually offers a lot on that side. There's the, the self-paced plus is what I work with mostly. Students come in and the coursework is all there already. All of the study notes are there for them. 
you know, these are the things you need to read. These are the things you need to study. These are the quizzes you need to take. And then when they take an exam, I step in and I grade the exams. The self-paced program is all of that without me stepping in uh, for the exams. But there's also a homeschool component where students can sign up and say, where parents can sign up and say, I don't want, I, I, I can't grade a chemistry exam. I wouldn't know where to begin. And they can submit work and I'll step in and I'll grade that. All right. Good deal. Okay. Well, we'll include in our notes some more about those programs for families who might be interested in that. Okay. So Chris, we talked to your husband, John, on the last conversation, and I'm so glad you're able to join us for this conversation. You've, you've talked a little bit about your military service in previous conversations with us, but would you tell us again about your own service and how you, how you got, what attracted you to it, how you got there and more about that? Well, um, straight out of high school, I, um, military was, was not on my mind. I, I went straight to college. I uh, had a few recruiters try to speak to me during college, and I thought four years sounded like an enormous commitment. When you're young, four years is sounds sounds like a long period of time. So that that was definitely not in the, the front of my mind. After college, had a few good jobs, owned my own business in 9/11, uh, and that that spurred my interest into uh, into trying to join. I attempted to join. Shortly after that, that winter, uh, I was medically declined, uh, continued to have those on, um, that conversation with the recruiter. A year later, I was uh, able to get picked up, went through MEPS. And since I had a college degree, I was able to enter the Army. I was able to enlist as an officer candidate. So since I did not uh, go through ROTC, I wasn't going to a specific academy. I still had the option to be an officer. So I went through basic training, all of that. And uh, at the end of, at the end, instead of going to a specific uh, sort of branch training, which would be for the army, it'd be AIT, uh, at advanced individual training, I went on to officer candidate school. So I was in the last, uh, let's say gentleman's course before they, uh, the last course before they made it, made an actual gentleman's course where you were able to have things like cell phones and free time. So <laughs> that was a whole lot of fun. Uh, so we went to the, uh, the school for girls and boys down at Fort Benning, Georgia for OCS, graduated there, went through my, uh, my individual training, which was uh, they branched me signal. And that's another thing. Um, if you go in as an officer for uh, if you're going through West Point, you have more of a say of maybe what you want. ROTC, you might get considered for the, the branches you want to qualify for. OCS, you are needs of the Army. So uh, even though Signal Corps was nowhere on my list, I was branched Signal because that's what they, those were the officers they needed at the time, which uh, Signal, if you're not familiar with that, it's uh, uh, at the time, it was um, like line of sight radios. And then once I was active duty, it was more of tech control facilities and data packages and things like that. So we're working with internet and for, um, phone communications. So after my signal course training, I went through airborne school and off to Germany uh, to a unit that was about to deploy. And that's where I met G John. So we were stationed in the same unit in Germany. 
Wow. And who could have known at the time that you'd be serving Colby in this internet, so much internet involved in how you are serving Colby now. Okay, Eric, we're hoping to get into some of the various ways of, of entering the service. So, so tell us about yours and kind of related things along those lines. Sure. So I, uh, when I was looking into joining the military, and I was kind of running out of steam teaching, I, I thought, you know, I, if I'm going to get in, I should get in now. Uh, and I looked around because I didn't really want to uproot my family. So I wanted to serve in the guard. Because when you serve in the, gu the guard or reserves, you actually stay at home. Uh, so I, I live near Green Bay, Wisconsin, and my base is, is in southern Wisconsin. And all of the Air National Guard bases in Wisconsin are in southern Wisconsin, and they're all two hours from my house. So I thought, well, I should look at what the missions are for each base and decide where I'd you know, what job would I like to do? Because in the Guard, you actually get to pick your job right? Because I can't decide that I want to teach in an Air Force schoolhouse because there are none in Wisconsin. So what, that, that's not something that I could actually opt into. But I could opt into, you know, F-16 repairs, which are now the F-35s. You know, I could, I could opt to work on a, on a tanker, or I could opt in, and what I did is I opted into weather. So I opted to be a weather forecaster. Um, that's, that's a little bit different than, the, than when you enlist in active duty Air Force, because when you enlist in active duty Air Force, you create a list of like, these are the things I wanna do. And active duty Air Force will say, well, that's cool. We need a lot of these right now. So that's what you're gonna go do, no matter if it's on your list or not. You know, they'll take that into consideration, but that's kind of the way that they push their enlisted force out. Okay, so Kevin, will you kind of round out the picture here for us that um, some of the areas there that we have not yet covered, where you're comfortable adding to that? Yeah, so um, in, in terms of like options to entry, I think we actually have a pretty good coverage. So when, you know, when I was uh, junior, senior high school, I applied for an ROTC scholarship at that time, but kind of different from um, the other options. If you do, you can do ROTC without being on scholarship. You can just go to the classes, participate, and at some point you'll have to kind of commit, but early on you don't necessarily have to make any sort of commitment. You can just kind of see if this is a, uh, something that you want to be doing for the next however much amount of time. But the scholarships are tied to a major. And so when I decided to do an ROTC scholarship, I decided, you know, I, I put in, I said I wanted, to, I wanted to major in math, and they gave me that scholarship based on that major. And so um, I had flexibility in what, what school I was going to go to. You know, I could basically go to any school that had an ROTC program associated with it, but I had less flexibility in terms of um, what I was going to major in and, and this sort of thing. Whereas, you know, the academy, uh, all the academies are kind of the opposite of that. Where you have a lot of flexibility in what you, you study, but you're going to be tied to Colorado or New York or, or Maryland or, or Connecticut or wherever, wherever uh, whatever academy you end up at. Um, and, and then, you know, as uh, Chris was saying, you know, OTS, usually you're, you're, 
either already done with your undergrad or, or um, you're about to finish your undergrad before you even sign up. And so there's options if, you know, maybe you have some student loans or something like that. And so they, they can pay for your student loans and that sort of thing. So I think in terms of the financial benefits for signing up um, it, it, and also what that looks like, the schools that you go to um, or the, the places you end up being, there's a lot of flexibility. Um, on the officer side and how you get into the into the military, um, but all of them want you to have an undergrad, no matter you know, what path you kind of pick, whether you know you do an ROTC program at a school, whether you go to an academy, or whether you do OTS after you're done with school, you need that undergrad um, to to go onto the officer side of the house. Um, and then for the enlisted side, you know you just you talk to a recruiter. Um, and and they, believe me, they will take it from there um, if if you want to enlist. So if you do want to go the officer side, I guess one thing that I would add is there's a little bit of a different recruiting process. If you talk to a recruiter, they're going to be focused on their numbers and getting you into the military as soon as possible, which usually is through some sort of an enlistment. Whereas if you want to do um, something that's a little more long term, like going to an academy, going to RTC or whatever. Um, then you you need to you need to make sure that that's clear when you're talking to a recruiter so that they connect you to the right people because um, sometimes sometimes that can be a little harder to to navigate. But um, hopefully that gives a kind of a wide wide range of and as as uh, Eric pointed out if when you go when you enlist you 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 give them kind of the jobs that you're interested in they'll give you a laundry list they'll want to know you know how you did in high school and your athletic um, level of achievement and you know these different things that they can kind of measure you and see how good a fit you are for for particular jobs for particular services you know at any rate you know like the different services they kind of have their own um, personalities um, and and then the the career fields within all the services kind of have their own personalities as well is there a best way I mean, if you if you're going to pick pick one, is it or is it pretty much up to uh, up to your needs and interest? I think needs and interest is a is a great way to start. I I kind of I knew personally I knew what I wanted to do, a general idea of what I wanted to do, but more of what I did not want to do, and uh, that kind of helped narrow it down. If if you go to the like the military websites, they do have like matchmaker questionnaires on there now yes. to be like, hey, I want to do something in science, and it, but but it'll be branch specific. So if I wanted to see what science jobs there are in the army, I wouldn't go to the Air Force website, right? Um, and then besides talking to a recruiter, I think I would. I would appreciate talking to someone who's in military service right now because basic training wasn't too long ago for me. It was four years ago. And and the talking to the people, they they said, I came in open contract. They told me that I'm gonna go be, you know, uh, uh special forces. You know, they told me I could go be a Navy SEAL. I'm like, dude, you're in the Air Force. That's a that's in the <laughs> Navy. Yeah, but they told me if I go security forces in the Air Force, I could go be a Navy SEAL. Like I could go to that school. I'm like, no, that's not how that works. So recruiters are notorious 
for stuff like that. And I'm not bashing on recruiters. All right. But, you know, sometimes there are some bad eggs out there. So talk to someone you trust to be like, you know what, you're, you're not going to go be a Marine if you're joining the Air Force. Oh, promises, promises. <laughs> yeah, and to Steve's uh, question, I, I agree. I agree with Chris. A lot of it is just like where you're at. Um, you know how how far like do you know the first decision is do you want to kind of enlist or are you interested in maybe being an officer? You can enlist and serve for a while and then be an officer after that. They have transition programs, um, so it's not like you're locking yourself in. Um, but, you know, so you kind of make that decision point first and then, you know, there's, there's varying amounts of flexibility as well. So I went to a small Christian school that was 40 minutes from Huntington beach. And I still, you know, was able to do the air force sort of thing, which is a very different environment than what I teach in right now in, you know, Colorado Springs at the base of the Rockies in a very military uh, environment you know, 24 seven. And I, I would not have done well in this environment, but there are a lot of kids, you know, that, that that's exactly what they're looking for. You know, somebody to make sure that they make their bed every morning and, uh, and wear their right uniform in the right way. And, you know, have a lot of that structure and that sort of thing. So I think, you know, there's a lot of options available. It's just a matter of kind of figuring out what they are. And, you know, uh, as I think everybody said, kind of do your homework and and talk to people and figure out what's a good fit. And sometimes if that's not your personality, if you're not the type that can get up early or even make your bed, if you are, um, if you're open-minded, sometimes that is the person that you become. So if, um, if you allow your, yourself to be molded and trained, then the, the military, the armed services can be fantastic for that. It can take a very undisciplined person and sh put them on the right path. So sometimes that's just the, the swift kick and the fourth point of contact to figure it all out. So, Okay, so if one is thinking, well, the general idea of, of serving in the armed forces is appealing, but I don't know which branch I want to, I want to go to, is it like you're saying, recruiters plus people who are living it now or have recently, folks like you all, um, is there sort of a matchmaker tool for the various, across, that seems to be the thing with everything, right? College roommates, now this, you know, specialization in um, military service, is it, does it, do they have one for which branch of the military is best for you? I, I can confirm there is, there are third party tools out there, but most of them speak toward the stereotypes of the of the branches so you know that marines eat crayons and and the the navy just loves being on boats like you know <laughs> stuff stuff like that um it's it nothing nothing official comes comes from them but the the stereotypes are there for a reason gotcha okay I can't remember, I think Eric mentioned it, but you should take a look at the different careers available in the different services because that might very quickly, like Chris said earlier, she knew what she didn't want to do. Sometimes that can, <laughs> that can be, that can make things very clear, um, but, or you do want to do something specific and only the Navy has that. Well, 
okay, sounds like you want to go into the Navy. Yeah. So that's what I would say. If you're looking at branches, see what kind of um, career options there are. Okay. So I, I also think like I've, I've deployed with all the services. I've done a lot of joint work with all the services. And from an officer perspective, I think that some of the stereotypes break down. Um, I've been to Marine Corps uh, training. Some of the, some of the most intelligent strategic thinkers that I've ever been around have all come from the Marines um, because the amount of breadth that a Marine Corps officer requires is really quite amazing. They have to know everything from the front to the back of all of the kind of the war fighting that they do. Um, I think the Air Force is incredibly technical. They've only been around for, you know, not very long compared to the other services and they like being kind of the younger techie brother that has all the new toys. That's they kind of relish that. Um, the the Navy, in terms of kind of uh, the amount of schooling that they go to um, and the depth that they're able to get in their particular uh, career field is really quite amazing. Um, I think the Coast Guard's uh, mission is is really, you know, it's it's a lot broader in terms of homeland defense combined with, you know, uh, military, uh, traditional military missions and that sort of thing. So I think the Coast Guard um, is, is kind of unique um, in, in their role. And, um, and I mean, then you have the Army. So the Army's super big. So people say, well, if you want to, if you want to drive boats, you should go in the Navy. Well, the Army has more boats than the, than the Navy has ships. And they're like, well, if you want to fly, you should go in the Air Force. But the Army has more air aircraft than the Air Force has aircraft. Um, and it's the Army is just huge. Now, the Army aircraft is all helicopters, except for, you know, maybe a couple of C-130s or something like that. Um, and the Air Force has, you know, kind of a wide range of, of platforms. But uh, the Army does all kinds of things. They're just so, they're very large. They do a lot of different things. They just do it all with a particular unique focus. I think that's one thing that they're very good at. They, there's kind of the army way, and so they take all of these things and they apply it to this one army, army kind of way. No, oh, and that is true. There, there are so such a variety of of different branches and and jobs available in the army. And that's the thing: if you get into the the armed services, you don't have to stick with uh, if if you start on one path. Uh, for example, a lot of my signal officer friends were, after three, four, five years, were jumping ship to the military intelligence side, and um, some th sometimes there's financial um, incentives to to change to a branch or or a different job that um, it maybe they're seeking more more people or just have a, a higher demand for that specific job. So once you join. You're not you're not tied to something, and just because you are a certain um, certain job type or branch doesn't mean that uh, you're going to be doing that work. So, like like John is a great example. He might have been a, um, a an ordinance offer officer, but that was not what he did for the army. He ended up doing uh, a lot of the uh, think tank stuff uh, and uh, a lot of the heavy thinking for the army. And I'm I'm sure Kevin, you experienced this. You're you're teaching. There's so many other things that you've done for the Air Force that weren't maybe your your specific job title. And and you find that the longer you're in the military, the uh, the the looser 
those titles are. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I, I'm even within a career field, you can change career fields and stuff like that. I mean, it's usually a conversation with your branch of service. Um, you know, hey, I'm, I would rather be doing something else. Oh, well, good. We have other things that we would like you to do as well. And so then you can maybe find a nice match. Um, but I know I know friends that start off as logistics officers and ended up as MC-130 pilots. I, I was a missileer for five years and then I went into analysis. Um, I've, I've done teaching, you know, I've, I've done uh, kind of electronic warfare with the army uh, in deployment and different things like that. So, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of opportunities. So you shouldn't, I think you should pick it if it's something that you, like you want to serve and you want to kind of be a part of this particular branch. But after that, I mean, I, I just think there's a lot of flexibility and options available. Eric, I know you you speak to high schoolers about about military service as well. Do you have anything that you'd like to add to this part of the conversation? There's really two points that I want to hone in on about the enlistment process. And I wanted to focus on after you get through MEPS, after you take the ASVAB, you know, once you get through basic training or once you arrive at basic training, that's that's what I really wanted to focus on. Um, and I wanted to say that everyone starts at square one, right? That uh, we had we had people in my basic training flight that were uh, junior ROTC, and they they knew all the facing movements, they knew the rank structure already. I didn't have all of that memorized, and we still passed together, right? Um, and it's the same thing in tech school when you're going in and you're learning your job. I had a bachelor's degree in science and I was learning about the weather. I knew a lot of the stuff that they were teaching about this is how weather works. And I'm like, I, I understand how weather works. And still, I was studying with everyone. I was helping everyone out. I was going through it same as they were. Bunch, a, a bunch of kids coming fresh out of high school who six months earlier would have been my students. We were, yeah. we were side by side in the classroom. So everyone starts at square one, whether it's basic or tech school. And then the other thing I wanted to focus on was that the job that you get is built around your aptitude. That's the whole purpose of the ASVAB. So if you go into the ASVAB and it hones in on the fact that, you know what, you're really good at math. We're gonna put you in a job that, that has to do with math. Um, the, the two trainings that were at my tech school were, were weather and PML in my squadron, uh, which is like, they, they calibrate everything. And only the Air Force and the Marines have PML people. So they, you know, if, if you need a scale calibrated, I guess that's what they go do. Uh, but the whole idea of I'm good at math and science. So my job is going to be around math and science based on my performance on the ASVAB. One of my buddies was going through and he, um, he did not pass his air traffic controller portion. And he was in school to be an air traffic controller for the Air Force. He didn't pass. So they put him in something else that he would be good at. 
and that's you know once once you're actually in they're going to find a job for you um and it, hopefully it's it's aimed at something that you're actually good at they're not going to put you into something that you're going to be terrible at they're going to find a good fit so those are the two things i wanted to focus on okay something that comes to my mind a lot is is kind of the getting some of the things that you you get or, and give up when you enter the military yourself you know i've seen a lot of well the military spouses that i've known or the the young women that i've seen get married and and, and to to the person in the service already and i think wow you know lots of small kids and their husband can be gone for months at at a time and it just seems like you know they they do it they're remarkable but uh, it seems it takes us knowing what you're getting into there to uh, to commit to that so and there's there's something like that at least for me that i'd be curious to get more perspective on from uh, thinking about joining or thinking about marrying somebody who's joining or or and that's not a question yeah <laughs> what eric mentioned about the guard too is a very interesting thing because we've known people in guard and the husband deploys, but they still have their whole community around them that they're used to. Whereas when my husband deployed, I didn't know anyone. I didn't even have an emergency contact in the local area. Um, and we were a very long distance away from our families. So that's one sort of difference if you're looking at reserve versus active duty. Um, and then also certain career fields and certain branches deploy a lot more than other branches, and that's an impact. Um, and then also just in general with family life, it's very rare to be stationed near your uh, your extended family. So your kids don't grow up with their grandparents around, their cousins around, um, and you as a family unit don't have that larger support network. It does on the other side of things make for a much more close-knit um immediate family so that's one benefit I suppose. yeah i think i mean from from the service member's perspective you I, I think it's important that you realize when you have a family that anytime you say yes at work you're committing your family to whatever that is and that you're not just saying yes for yourself um and then you know there, there, there are many times that Erica uh, and the and our boys um, have have just had to take one for the team, not because the Air Force is trying to do anything particular to them, but because the Air Force is telling me that I have to do something, and it's not really a conversation, right? So, I mean, I've I've missed anniversaries and Christmases and birthdays, and um, you know, I've been gone for long periods of time and you know all those sorts of things and you know sometimes i've had a say in some of it but many times i haven't and so when you do have a say you need to make sure that you're uh you know giving your inputs from a family perspective and not from you know an individual or a career perspective um, and then the the family just um they just have to realize that they're they're serving just as much and it's sometimes in more in the harder ways because a lot of times their service is a little more of a silent service um, you know one of the benefits of being in the military i i love wearing the uniform not just because i don't like buying clothes but 
also because uh, you know anytime I walk into a grocery store in uniform or you know walking around town in uniform, you know people tell me thank you for your service and uh, little kids come up and and shake my hand and they don't do that because they know me or they like me or any of these other sorts of things. They do it because uh, I am representing to them something that they hold in high esteem, whether I've done anything to earn that or not. And that's just a beautiful thing that our culture has that um, perspective and that um, uh, perspective on military service. And it hasn't always been like that, but it's a beautiful thing. Um, and so I, I get kind of a lot of external benefits that, you know, are, you know, I haven't really done anything to deserve any of them, but a lot of other people before me have. Um, and so I think that that's a really neat thing about being in the military that I, I really love. But I, I, do, I do think that there's decisions about whether to stay in, take another assignment, whether to go in a particular career field, what branch of service you go into, like all these decisions. If you have a family in mind, you should be making them in terms of your family, not just kind of on a, what I would like to do or what's best for my career. You know, so. That that fits right in. I mean, that that puts things together in my mind because you know, as you were talking about, um, basically knowing that because of what you do, your family is going to they have to come along or or they're. I mean, so that's another sign of as you're, you're saying, people thanking you. But I think it's understanding that that you you've given up part of your life, your ability. You know, because I keep thinking, oh, if I, my wife was back in distress, I'd be thinking, oh, I should be there. I should be, but you've given up your ability to do that then at this point and your and your wife has also signed up for that too you know whether whether it was how conscious it was but that's that's a sacri another example of the sacrifice that the, that you and the, the military have made that's that's worth acknowledging <laughs> especially you know your life is on the on the line your, your you know your death is a possibility but also you've given up a portion of your life your free will to uh to serve and protect our country so that's that that puts things together in my mind i have a i have a short story i don't know if you want to keep it in or not but um so i enlisted in 2019 uh june of 2019 and then in i went to basic training in september of 2019 um now, one one thing that I've noticed is a difference between guard and active duty is that on the active duty side, they they do have support structures in place um, in in case you know if if my roof caved in. There, uh, I've at least I have had like me as the service member, I get shoved down my throat like this is the number that you call like. These these are the people. These are this is the office. They'll you call them and they they're it's a group of military spouses. Uh, but in the guard side, we didn't have any of that. And so um, three weeks into my eight week basic training, my mother in law died. Uh, and shout out to the American Red Cross because uh, my wife contacted the American Red Cross and I can't remember if it's one or two hours after my mother-in-law passed and my wife contacted the Red Cross, I got the notification. And basic basic training mail is very slow. It's, you know, at least a week. And I I found out an hour later uh, of, of my mother-in-law's passing. 
And um, I got an extra phone call. And in that phone call, we found out that we were having our fifth child. Um, so between basic training and my tech school, it's almost a year of training. And I was, I was in training for almost two years uh, initially. So it was, I, I missed my son's birth and I missed my mother-in-law's funeral. And the, the sacrifices that my wife made without knowing that the sacrifices would have to be made is, is really big because it's, it's not, it, when I enlisted in June, nobody pictured that. And in fact, when COVID-19 hit, all through basic training in 2019, everyone said, hey, you know what? When, when your son is born, just take two weeks. Go ahead, go home. But with COVID-19, everything locked down. I wasn't allowed to leave. I wasn't allowed to go home to see my son's birth. Uh, even, and they told me between my trainings, I'd be able to go home and, and none of that happened. And so that the, the flexibility that we each have to have, but also the sacrifices that we each had to make, even without even knowing that we were gonna have to make those sacrifices. That's a big thing. Definitely a lot to keep in mind as we approach a decision like this, yeah, and glad to be able to add this context to, to that conversation and, and yeah. Yeah, I also wanted to um, bring up for those dual spouses both serving at the same time, that also adds a, a total different perspective. When John and I were married at the uh, at that time, the op tempo was such that uh, it, it, with all the different wars that were going on, um, we had Iraq and Afghanistan going on at the same time. So a lot of our friends, both spouses were being deployed, sometimes one to one country, one to another country. And we even had some, some friends of ours, they had twin girls. She was home for a few weeks and then both of them were gone. So they had a parent. Uh, so the, the grandmother raised their twins for the first in the entire first year of their, their birth. So they came back and their children are, are walking, talking, and don't know who these two adults are. And so, so those are, are things you also have to take into consideration, which uh, John and I, you know, we've obviously, we're going to have a family. So we, uh, I left the army. Uh, he stayed active duty. So those are you know, some things to take in consideration. But I, I like what what everyone has said about being flexible. You really do have to take uh, to be flexible. And like Kevin was saying, sometimes you have to take one for the team. You have to uh, move to different duty stations, which might be the, the opposite end of the world that you wanna be maybe so far away from your family. You don't have that support structure. And like Erica said, you don't have the emergency contacts when you move somewhere. And uh, you learn to be flexible and resilient. You know how to, to work with what you have. And uh, I, I always tell the other wives, put on your good big girl pants. You have to be tough. And, and like I said, resilient. I remember uh, moving, to, moving across the country. Uh, we were um, our second 
child was due in like a month and I knew, knew uh, I've, I immediately joined a gym and started introducing to my, uh, myself to people. And the first friendly face I found, hi, I'm due in a few weeks. Can I put you as my emergency contact? Because my husband's not going to be here. And it's like, I, I will probably need a ride to the hospital and someone to watch my, my two-year-old. <laughs> so I'm Chris, good to meet you. And, uh, and that's, that's what it was like. Uh, uh, I, in fact, almost every time we moved, I was about due with another kid. And there was a four-year stretch when John worked for the, uh, the White House, where he would be gone for a few months, come back for a weekend, be gone for a few months, back for a weekend. And that we, it went on like that for four years. And, and that's not including the, the year-long deployments where you don't, you know, he'll come back for a couple of weeks for R&R, uh, &R, but there's, you, you have to, you have to be okay with that. And there are a lot of spouses that aren't, they, they say, I didn't sign up for this. Yes, you did. You, you have to have that realization that training exercises happen, deployments happen. You know, they, so, some new thing could be cropping up somewhere. Your spouse might be deployed in another country and they can't bring you along. There's unaccompanied um, assignments that happened all the time. And sometimes you just have to, uh, to give it all up and say, Jesus, I trust in you and spouse, we've got this and, uh, uh, take on whatever responsibilities you have because that active service member in order for them to do their job properly, they, they need to know that everything is okay at home too, because if things are falling apart at home, they're not going to be able to do their job right because they're going to be worried and, and, uh, and caring about what's going on with their spouse or their children. So, and kids, the military kids are some of the most resilient little people I have ever met. I know my, um, my little crop of girls, we can go anywhere in the world and they, they will be eager to meet new people and have new friendships. And they have had to say goodbye to more people than almost any average adult. And like my, my 14 year old over here doing her schoolwork, she's, this is her, I believe her 13th home. She's 14 years old and she's had 13 different homes. So talk about someone who can just pick up and go and be okay with it and know that this is not your forever home. You know, we have one forever home, but to know that the, the, the sticks that they're living under isn't going to be where they're going to stay. I mean, even, even though that we're, you know, John's retired and we're, we're, we're here near my family, the same time they're like, okay, when are we moving? Where's, <laughs> where, where's our next home going to be? <laughs> like, eh, we got to sell this one first. <laughs> wow. Okay. So for students, even who are might not be considering military service for themselves. This is helpful too. I think as they you know move forward in life and, and encounter folks who they might discern whether or not they are called to marriage with them. So that I didn't foresee that when we started this. So but there's bonus. Okay. Wow. Thank you guys for all of all of those perspectives. Um at this point, Erica, I want to ask you, what would you how do you as a Colby advisor um work with your students in your care? moving forward on along this path? Sure. Well, typically they've already had a lot of conversations and figured this out with their parents. So I'm not, I usually step in at the point where they've made the decision and then they need support. 
um, with their application. So if they want to talk about military life with me, I'm happy to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, from a spouse perspective uh, or give them my husband's phone number because he's always happy to talk to people. But, um, but in terms of the actual Colby support process, um, they're usually coming to me um, for help with their academy applications or um, their ROTC application um, or, you know, supplemental documentation that they need. So in terms of um, the key piece that I think is important is for them on the letter of recommendation request to articulate leadership experience, not just say I'm a good leader, but actually give very clear examples of leadership that they've done. Um, Kevin would probably say outcomes that they've had. <laughs> you can jump in here, Kevin, if you want. But, um, and if they have, if they've filled out the form for me already for general college admissions and they weren't really honing in on some of those military pieces, then I'll usually reach back to them and say, hey, I need some more examples. But it's better if they start thinking about those things because then they're forming their applications in a way that um, presents things that the military is looking for in terms of their core values um, and what they're looking for for ROTC and the military academies, what they're looking for in officers, which is leadership and things like that. Evan, do you have any other points? Yeah, so in terms of, uh, it's it's nice to be able to talk if you're presenting yourself for uh, you know a scholarship or something like that, to be able to talk uh, in in ways that the military kind of already understands. And so, you know, what Erica said, you know, you can tell me that you're a good leader, but tell me what you did. Tell me the impact that what you did, you know, what impact did it have? Try to use as many uh, quantifiers as you can. So, you know, you can say, hey, I volunteered my time, or you can say I volunteered 30 hours, I cleaned up this park or I built this playground and, you know, 40, 40 kids, that use the playground are now, you know, better off than they were before, or, you know, whatever, I picked up the street and now our whole community is better for it. Um, the, so the things you participate in are really good. The things that you actually uh, have a leadership role in are even better, like capture that leadership role. I led a particular activity, or I have this particular leadership role at school or in a club or, you know, whatever. And, and the more numbers that you can use, I think the better off you are. But Try to say what you did and then kind of articulate and quantify the impact that it had and the number of people that it impacted and that sort of thing. So I think that those are really good. And then I think, so leadership, that's a way to kind of capture leadership in a way that the military will understand it and appreciate it. And I also think um, focusing in, in addition to leadership, one of the things that Colby kids in general, at least my experience with Colby kids are really good at is kind of their, um, their development of character, development of virtue, and they, there's opportunities to highlight that in their application process. And that's something that the uh, military is really interested in and hungry for. Um, and you can, you can even tailor that. So all the services have their own core values. Um, if you're talking to the Air Force, you should really talk about um, your integrity. So our core value, integrity first, your service, service before self, you know, the ways that you've served and then your excellence and all you do or excellence and all we do those are our three core values to so talk about the areas where you're excellent and if you if you kind of shape your whole narrative in terms of the core values that's going to resonate with them 
uh, when you're talking to the, uh, uh, to the Navy, you know, it's courage, honor, commitment. You know, you can look up and you can see what uh, each of the services core values are. But um, if you talk to them using those words, it'll resonate with them more. And, um, and, and so finding ways to show um, the type of person you are and the type of leadership experiences you've had, I think will uh, benefit, benefit your overall package. That would be my key advice for our students is to make sure that you're taking a lot of time reflecting on these things and then articulating them to your advisor so that we can draft the best recommendations possible for you. For things like the Common App, we actually have to write a letter that applies to all of the institutions. But in the past, when I've helped students apply to the military academies, I've been able to completely customize and for ROTC scholarships completely customize the letter. So if you're providing the things that will benefit your package, um, that makes my job easier. And it makes it makes it easier for me to write a really strong um, recommendation that I think will be helpful. I mean, it's not the only piece of the application, but um, the other piece is that the students um, should probably be cognizant of the requirements for the different academies or whatever they plan, because you can't, if you haven't you know, taking courses throughout high school to get you to keep that door open. Um, it's possible to close to close doors if you're not, you know, taking the right courses for a college bound student. But so those are the other things that families can keep in mind is, you know, choosing courses that keep doors open for their students. As you were talking about some of those things, I was thinking of, we've got this great community, Colby community here too. So if you if you are before you're reaching out to Erica to ask how how do I get into this branch or whatever, like maybe you like the military, but you you know these Navy guy, this Navy guy that you really admire, but you don't know anybody else in some of the other branches. We've got so many people either who are, are an ex-military who are in the military that are associated with Colby and a lot of families, our families are a lot of military families out there. So we can probably find somebody who would be willing to talk about their experience for, for if you reach out to your advisor, they can probably track somebody down too. Yeah, that's right. Here's another example. I Maybe folks didn't, in case folks didn't realize that this would be something to talk to the advisors about that. I'm seems like we discover a lot of these things along the course of cover these conversations, like here's something else to talk to the advisor about that might not have been apparent initially. That's not, I really wouldn't have maybe considered that, but here it is. Okay. Well, this has been a superb conversation. So much to think about. We're very grateful for the time you've taken to come talk to us as well as the service that you've given over a long period of time, each of you in various ways. This conversation is part of our life after Colby series, and it has its own tag among the filters that we apply to our episodes so that folks can search for what they're looking for to make use of that tool. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to the, to the page on the Colby website where people can find the other episodes in this Life After Colby series. And of course, I'll link to the previous conversation we had with John and Kristen. So Chris, Eric, Kevin, and Erica, thank you guys so much for coming to visit with us today. And it's great to see you and look forward to talking with you again real soon. Thanks, Bonnie. It was great. Thank you so much for having us. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. 
Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.